Welcome to the discussion, Improve Security with Facial Recognition and Biometrics, sponsored by NEC Corporation of America. Here's today's moderator, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Benji Hutchinson, Vice President for Federal Operations, NEC Corporation of America. Well, Benji, we're going to jump right in here. How long has NEC been involved in facial recognition? NEC has been involved in facial recognition for the better part of two decades. So going back about 20 years, but our involvement in biometrics has been about 40 years in this country. Wow, it's amazing. You know, when I think of federal agencies, I imagine there are federal agencies that, that test all kinds of things. You know, there's all kinds of metrics that are tested. Uh, are there agencies that can test maybe accuracy of facial recognition? There are. In the Department of Commerce, there is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. They are the gold standard for testing biometrics, and they've been doing it for just about 20 to 25 years. And so I imagine the last 10, 15 years, the algorithms have changed, the degrees of accuracy have changed. Is that true? They have. They have. It's, it's astounding how quickly and how dramatically the technology has improved. Um, you know, biometrics and specifically facial recognition has been around uh, since the mid-90s, but it became a real robust technology in the mid-2000s and more recently in the past nine years. So it's just a matter of uh, more horsepower being available combined with maybe new software algorithms, huh? Absolutely. I mean, you've seen a, a dramatic investment in R&D over the past 15 years from the public sector. And then over the past decade, you've seen the private sector really step up. And so it, it is an evolution in, in not only computational power, but also in the mathematics behind the algorithms. So when you think about mathematics and, and libraries and algorithms, these all come together to create the perfect storm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And uh, in the commercial world, they invest in it because there's a return on the investment there. I imagine there's a return also for our federal audience here. There is. And it's an increase in security uh, across the board. You know, a lot of this technology was born after 9-11, and its primary purpose was counterterrorism. But today, it's used to decrease friction and to increase customer experience. And so what I mean by that is often when you interact with people or, or machines in an environment, like a public uh, transportation environment, uh, there's a lot of friction. You have to take tickets out, you have to interact with machinery, kiosks, security guards. Facial recognition having a standoff capability has the, uh, the ability to decrease that friction. So when I think of facial recognition, I think of point of entry screening, maybe crowd surveillance, and also cybersecurity authentication. So really a lot of practical applications. Absolutely. Primarily, we see it a lot, like I said, for security applications, border security, border management, immigration. Uh, but you're also seeing it in a lot of other places like retail, uh, travel. You're also seeing it in loyalty programs. So it is becoming a more standard technology that's pretty ubiquitous across the spectrum of use cases. Now, is there a big difference between identification and verification in your world? There is. Uh, so verification one-to-one -one is when you have a face and you know that that face is in your database. So you want to verify that that individual is who they say they are. The other use case is identification. That's one-to-many. So this would be a situation where you have a face or you have an identity and you want to find out if they are in the database. So you don't know. And the one-to-many situation uh, scenario, the one-to-one, -one, excuse me, the one-to-many scenario for uh, for identification is a lot more robust. It's a lot more. It's a much more difficult pro problem to crack. 
If we look at the origins where NEC started doing a lot of facial recognition, they really had a slow long-term development of libraries and algorithms, and each step builds and builds and builds. Right. And finally, we're at the point now where we have uh, cloud computing, where you can store data easier, and we have access to this information quicker. But still, there's the human element of using the algorithm for identification. Right, right. And you know, the, you, you bring up a really good point. The technology is really fast, it's really accurate, but there's always a human in the loop, right? Because the technology is never going to be perfect. We'll get as close as we can to 100%, but you always want to make sure you have a human in the loop. Speaking of humans, humans have fingerprints. Absolutely. And I imagine the gold standard is going to be 10, ten fingers, right? right? And so what this can do is this can enhance that, that, the baseline, can't it? Absolutely, it can. And as you pointed out, fingerprints have been around for about 150 years. So it's a tried and true technology. It's mostly associated with law enforcement applications, although there are other private sector use cases like uh, on your iPhone, for example. But uh, mixing in another biometric, making it multimodal, does make the technology a lot stronger. It makes your matches uh, a lot more accurate, a lot more specific. Um, and uh, yeah, it makes the technology more robust overall. And uh, if you think of our agile software development or flexible community, it can give you more flexible options. For example, uh, for remote authentication, you may not have access to fingerprints and you can't have access to a visual correspondent to that authentication, can't you? That's right, and, and different use cases, different scenarios call for different biometric modalities, right? So in some of the use cases I've already talked about, whether it's uh, travel, you might want to use facial recognition because there's less friction, but in a law enforcement use case, you'd want to use fingerprints because there's more data or, or uh, there's a longer, uh, there's a longer uh, period of use, use cases that have been in, in um, there's a longer track record of the technology being used in law enforcement scenarios. Now, 10 years ago, you'd use voice recognition. It was a joke. But yeah. now voice recognition is being used in many, many homes. I would imagine that's because there was a library that was established, yeah. algorithms kind of worked their way out. Right. Similar with facial recognition, I would think now. Is that right? No, t totally true. Uh, you know, in the late 80s, 80s and 90s, uh, artificial intelligence was just starting to mature as a technology. And one of the first pieces of technology was voice recognition. And as you know, as you see with a lot of these consumer applications and products that you see on the market today, uh, voice recognition is, is much more stable than it's ever been. Same thing for facial recognition. Um, it's been used in a lot of uh, public sector use cases, but now you see it on your phones, you see it um, in airports. Uh, I think you're going to see it in more and more retail locations, so it definitely has uh, gotten a lot stronger. Fingerprints and facial recognition, uh, you may want to call this multimodal matching, and uh, it just increases security at a rapid speed that we could never even thought of five or six years ago. Yeah, it does, it, and it has, and we're going to see those types of improvements to continue to happen, because as you mentioned, it is a layering effect. The technology gets better with time, it gets better as the mathematics improve, and also the AI engines underneath, the artificial intelligence engines that are training the algorithms, they're getting stronger as well. And I think it's really not, you know, it's the rabbit and the turtle. This really isn't the rabbit at all. This isn't a immediate hockey stick. It's really a long series of years and years of investments yeah. to result to kind of an impact that you can have now. It is. It, it's, the, it's the steady pace of, of adoption and acceptance. I mean, we've gone past the hype cycle, I think, or maybe we're just at the tail end of it for a lot of folks. But um, the technology is a lot more stable and it's uh, much more widely accepted and being adopted. My guest today is Benji Hutchinson, Vice President for Federal Operations, NEC Corporation of America. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Improve Security with Facial Recognition and Biometrics, sponsored by NEC Corporation of America on Federal News Radio, 
part of the Federal News Network. NEC is the world leader in facial recognition and artificial intelligence technology. Our technology has been ranked number one in three consecutive NIST tests. Our facial recognition technology is currently deployed in more than 20 major U.S. airports. CBP uses our biometric technology at ports of entry and exit across the United States. And recently, they've caught over 60 imposters. Welcome back to the discussion, Improve Security with Facial Recognition Biometrics, sponsored by NEC Corporation of America on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Benji Hutchinson, Vice President for Federal Operations, NEC Corporation of America. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. Well, Benji, can you give me some use cases for facial recognition for the federal government? Sure. The one you see in the news today is biometric entry and exit, uh, specifically biometric exit. That one has been going on for the past two to three years, and it's gotten a lot of press. Uh, you see these primarily in airports across the country, but the basic use case is uh, an individual who's going to travel internationally. They uh, go to an airport where there's a gate where one of these devices is, install is installed, and uh, their face is going to be matched against a, uh, an image of their passport or their visa, and that allows them to seamlessly get on their plane and, uh, and board and uh, take off on their flight. Because there's a possibility there's a discrepancy between the person with the uh, passport and the picture itself. Absolutely. And uh, one of the primary reasons for the biometric exit program was after 9-11, uh, Congress mandated that uh, such a system should be stood up. The biometric entry portion was stood up uh, just over 15 years ago, and the biometric exit portion was not. So it's taken a while for the technology to mature and the funding to be there, but we're finally there. You know, back in the early days of credit cards, you'd give a credit card, and they'd get out a book, and they'd try to go through the book and see right. if it was a valid credit card or not. It used to be that you'd go through the pass, and the same thing would happen. You'd submit your passport, and they'd go, well, it looks kind of good, and let people, right. a bad person, leave the country. And so this really can prevent a lot of um, bad things happening. <laughs> it can. It can. And, you know, uh, what they're trying to do is, like you said, make sure that the person standing in front of you is the person who has the right travel document. And they're also trying to prevent visa overstays. That's another reason for the, for the program. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, human identification, if they don't know the person, is about a 50% probability that they'll get the, uh, the match correct without a machine. But with a machine, that, that uh, probability goes up. So what about Homeland Defense? That's a, that's a big one. And um, obviously, Customs and Border Protection is using the technology, like I said, for biometric exit, but we also see it on entry. Uh, when foreign nationals or U.S. citizens enter the country, uh, you can interact with this technology, and it can do a check against a number of databases to find out, uh, number one, screening for terrorism, but also, like I said before, screening for visa violations or passport violations or just write down fraud. Uh, so... For example, CBP over the past year or two has caught over 60 imposters who have come into the country using a real document that doesn't belong to them. Wow. Um, earlier in our discussion, you mentioned frictionless travel. So what does you know, facial recognition have to do with frictionless travel? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, as you pointed out, the technology uh, in a passport has always been uh, a human glancing at an image and then glancing at the individual yeah. who holds it. Right? Guessing. <laughs> and guessing, right? Making sure, yes, I believe you, that's your name, that's your picture. But now what we're doing is uh, we're introducing this technology all throughout the aviation space 
so that it could be much more seamless and you don't have to have as many humans in the loop, although there will always be a human in the loop. It does give, uh, it, it decreases the bottlenecks and it increases the throughput. So you've got less friction and you're increasing, you're enhancing the customer experience overall, making it less stressful. So are there airports that uh, use this installed equipment today? There are. Uh, for biometric exit, there's somewhere around 12 airports. Overall, for biometric entry and exit, the number's around 20. And uh, it's some of the largest airports you might expect in the country. JFK, Atlanta, LAX, there's a number of other ones that are using it as well. But uh, I think over the next year to two years, you're going to see this technology increase in a lot more airports across the country. When everyone talks about new technology, whether it's cloud storage or advances with CPUs and GPUs, they talk about saving money and increasing efficiency. So right. it must apply to this topic as well? It does, it does. And uh, even though those are jargon words, it is true. They, it does increase efficiency and it decreases cost. You know, facial recognition technology 10, 15 years ago was much more expensive than it is today. So the price points have changed quite a bit. And also it goes without saying, uh, there's cloud technology, there's cheaper memory, cheaper hardware, cheaper storage. So all those contributing factors are helping the technology to uh, take off and to be adopted and accepted across the country. When you, uh, when you go to the old-fashioned dictionary or type in biometrics, it's way more than just fingerprints and facial recognition. It can include iris, voice, and behavioral areas, which really fascinates me. Uh, so how can this even be applied to a behavior? Right. No. So it's fascinating where the technology is going and how it's maturing. So now what we're looking at is ways to uh, track the body, the body movements, to see how those correspond to an individual. And uh, that, that's a useful technology. And we've also got other technologies that allow for uh, looking for movement uh, in a space, whether that's in a restricted space. Uh, one of the most sensitive places in an airport is the back of house. It's the tarmac, the areas underneath the plane where people refuel and they, they conduct uh, um, uh, mechanics. Uh, they, they do uh, upgrades for parts and so forth. Um, so those areas are very sensitive. And uh, uh, you can use certain technologies like all the ones we've talked about to protect those areas. Can it be even used for something like fiber optics? It can, it can. And this is a big new technology that we're uh, looking at deploying potentially uh, on the southern border of uh, the United States. So... This technology actually allows for, uh, you can bury the cable, you can string it on physical structures, on fences, uh, or other types of barriers, uh, but it detects uh, human traffic. It also detects cars or animals or other types of activities. While decreasing the false alarms, it can actually identify individuals and tell what type of object or person uh, is actually crossing that border. It's one thing to put a sensor on a fiber optic cable. Uh, but really, the hard part is the deep learning. This, this is the That's hard right. part. This takes years. This takes lots and lots of computer scientists and evaluating extremely large quantities of big data. Right. And so really, this is the challenge, I think, is developing the algorithms that understand exactly what this movement's all about. That's right. In, in today's day and age, the hardware is no longer the hard part, right? The fiber optics fairly commoditized. Uh, the, the, uh, the amplifiers or the interrogator boxes, those are great pieces of technology, but they are still hardware. The real engine is the artificial intelligence underneath the hood. And that is what allows for uh, data to be trained against. That's what allows for the decrease in false alarms. Uh, that allows for the technology to identify that it is a human and not a deer, or it is a car versus a truck. And that's where uh, the real power lies. 
My guest today is Benji Hutchinson, Vice President for Federal Operations, NEC Corporation of America. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion Improved Security with Facial Recognition Biometrics, sponsored by NEC Corporation of America on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. NEC is the world leader in advanced recognition and artificial intelligence technologies that address today's national defense and homeland security challenges. Our solutions include facial recognition, video surveillance, analytics, intrusion detection, and other biometric security applications. CBP uses our biometric technology at ports of entry and exit across the United States. And recently they've caught over 60 imposters. Welcome back to the discussion improved security with facial recognition biometrics sponsored by NEC Corporation of America on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Benji Hutchinson, Vice President for Federal Operations, NEC Corporation of America. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. Well, Benji, I got to ask you kind of a sensitive question here about privacy. Sure. And uh, certainly not a new concept for NEC. They've anticipated this for several years. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, they have a digital trust business strategy division. Tell me more about that. We do. And uh, it is a sensitive topic, and you see it in the news a lot. Privacy is a, is a concern. It's a, a great concern for us. Uh, we want to make sure that the customers to whom we sell and when we deploy the technology that uh, they're using it in an ethical manner. They're also using it in, accor in, in, uh, in accordance with U.S. federal law around privacy. But uh, we have seen this coming, and we, we are very active in uh, various privacy discussions. The biggest one that you mentioned is the Digital Trust Division. So globally, what we do is we have experts, both inside and outside of the company, who focus on these types of uh, topics, whether it's ethics or privacy or artificial intelligence technology, they are academics, they're professional people, uh, engineers, uh, and uh, what they do is they help us to craft the right policies so that our technology is developed in accordance with <clears throat> privacy and ethical concerns, whether that's privacy by design when we develop the algorithms of the technology uh, or decreasing any sort of bias that might be in the algorithms. Those are the types of topics that this uh, organization works on. You know, uh, I think you earlier said that uh, the hard part's not the hardware. Right. <laughs> the hardware is kind of the easy part. The harder part's the algorithm, but right. really at the top of the, the pyramid here is the ethical discussion that we have to have here because many of the listeners of this program and films, they are concerned about the ethical application of technology, which is kind of like, you know, it's like the redheaded cousin that got out of bringing it late, but you incorporated it early in the discussion. That's right. We thought that it was a big part of our corporate responsibility. It's a big part of who we are. And we wanted to make sure that we got ahead of that discussion. And uh, we've gone further than that. It's not only the digital trust division, but we also are active in a lot of dialogues with privacy groups outside uh, in here in the Washington, D.C. area. We also uh, engage with uh, lawmakers on Capitol Hill as they craft la language for legislation to make sure that uh, high, the highest standards are in place for this technology so that there aren't any biases or there aren't any, any big privacy concerns. And we always try to make sure our customers understand that. Now, I think a good practice is to get involved in, in several different types of organizations that can provide feedback on ethics and on facial recognition. NIST, I think, is the one we talked about earlier. Right. What about ANSI and ISO and the uh, IATA? Are these organizations that work in this whole concept of facial recognition? They are, right? So the, the organizations you mentioned are the National Standards Body and the International Standards Body, but also the International Air Transport Association. We also work with the International Biometric Identification Association, IBIA, and a number of other groups. We work with uh, the Future of Privacy Forum. 
So standard setting is very important. We spend millions of dollars annually on R&D uh, in the development of our technology. And uh, so we're really proud to be a part of these, these groups because we want to make sure that the, that the technology is standard, uh, standardized, and that it can be interoperable with other types of platforms. I think most people who are listening or watching this realize that NEC is a huge corporation. They spend millions and millions of dollars in research and development, and they just don't toss it out there. They do try to you know, find out what impact you can have in the community before they go out and just force it on someone. That's right. I mean, not only do we do our own internal robust testing uh, with uh, data sets that we have, uh, then it's also important to do third-party unbiased testing with NIST. And we are a proud participant in those tests for the better part of a decade. Nine out of the last 10 years, we've, we've been ranked number one for either performance and or accuracy uh, when it comes to facial recognition technology. We've also been ranked number one for fingerprints and iris. So we're really proud to participate in those types of tests. So prediction time, Benji. How many years before you see widespread deployment? I'd say we've got about two to three years. Uh, over the next 24 months, you're going to see some massive changes and some wide rollouts. I know with some of our uh, most uh, public-facing uh, uh, customers, such as Delta, um, you are going to see this technology in more and more airports. You're going to see more airlines and more airports uh, implement this technology. Uh, you already see it on your phone. I think you're going to see it in retail applications, fast food restaurants, so I think over the next 24 months, it's going to be a real uh, proving time for facial recognition. From the federal perspective, uh, what concerns should federal professionals have with regards to facial recognition? I think from a federal professional's perspective, the first thing they have to understand is uh, what is the legal and policy framework around the technology? What can they do and what, they, what can't they do? Uh, there's a whole framework out there. Uh, from federal laws and policies to make sure that your technology is implemented properly. For example, a privacy impact assessment or the right types of policy at a law enforcement organization. There are templates out there that can help those organizations through that process as they implement the technology, but they need to think about it ahead of time. Also, budgeting for it. Uh, it's challenging to get proper funding for these types of uh, technologies, even though the price points are way better than they've ever been. It still takes multiple years to get that going and to deploy it the right way. Uh, but we also work real closely with our, with our partners on the last point, which is training. I think training is a critical component uh, on how you use the technology, how you roll it out, how you manage matching, what does a match mean, how do you set accuracy and performance levels. All those things are very important. And I would imagine that uh, error rates have gone down over the years as well as far as matching goes. Oh, they have, they have. As you might imagine, uh, the images have gotten better as the camera technology has improved, better lenses um, and so forth. But uh, the algorithms have gotten so much better, too. Uh, the algorithms no longer need a lot of help as they once did, right? So there's no need for lots of different lighting. Uh, although lighting is still a concern, uh, we've been able to manage it a lot more. Motion blur, occlusion, challenges with the images are always what gives the matching uh, algorithm fits. But uh, over the years, it's gotten a lot better. I would imagine that a federal IT professional has a concern with uh, people coming in and remotely connecting to the system. This can give uh, a lot more uh, assurance that the person connecting in is, in fact, the correct person, can't it? Because it amplifies the whole idea of recognition. Yeah, multi-factor authentication uh, is, is a big thing. And, uh, you know, 
The common access card is one example of a, of a, of a long-standing standard for accessing technology networks, uh, information technology networks in the federal government. But the potential use of face or other types of biometrics uh, could be a game changer. I'd like to thank today's guest, Benji Hutchinson, Vice President for Federal Operations, NEC Corporation of America. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, and you're listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more information on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search facial recognition. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Improve Security with Facial Recognition and Biometrics, sponsored by NEC Corporation of America on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.